You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. As you know, Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year, and I love the lights of Christmas. I don't always like putting the lights together because you never know if they're out from the year before or they're all tangled, but I do like the end results of seeing lights displayed. Val and I, uh, a few years ago, as we were celebrating one of our uh, anniversaries, went to New York City, and we were just amazed and dazzled, and our hearts were filled with joy, just with the the lights from the the brownstones to the the high-rise buildings, even to the light show near the the famous Christmas tree. It's just amazing to see the lights, right? Light gives us joy. They fill us uh, with just just excitement a lot of times. Even in our neighborhoods, right, we begin to see more lights uh, as they decorate their homes. And it's lighting the darkness in a sense, right? And this does remind me that lights are not just decorative, but they're symbolic. This passage this morning, we see that light has dawned and it brightens up the darkness of the world. So follow along as I read from Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 5 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zerboam and the land of Nepatala. But the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood where he will be burned as shul for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, Father, we come as we look into your word this morning, as we just hear some some thoughts that will help us to just appreciate this light that has come into our presence, this light that has dawned, Jesus. And so, God, do your work of grace as we focus on this passage this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Much of my messages of the next three weeks will be based on a book entitled The Hidden Christmas by the Reverend Dr. Tim Keller, who is the founder and pastor at large at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And as we journey through this passage this morning, we, it is entitled, The Light Has Dawned. And in order for us to explore, the, I want us to explore the following this morning. The darkness of the world, the realism of Christmas, the meaning of light, the dawning of light, and the light of grace. In most rooms, when you desire to do something, you have to turn on the light or you can't see to do anything else. The Advent Christmas season includes many spiritual truths. 
but it will be hard to understand the other truths until we grasp the darkness of the world. Due to the world being in a dark place, we only find our way, or in Matthew 4, this, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and he's referring to himself, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. One of his apostles, Apostle John, in his first chapter, John 1, declares this about Jesus, the true light that it gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him, and though the world was, through the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So we must ask, how is the world dark that we need the light of Jesus? In the Bible, darkness refers both to evil and to ignorance. The world is filled with evil and unfold, untold suffering. Even in the time of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, there existed injustice, poverty, oppression, families being ripped apart, and endless grief. Sounds very similar to our lives in this world we live in today. But not only evil, the other way the world is dark is that no one knows enough to cure evil and suffering in the world. None of us know enough. We're all ignorant in some sense. Isaiah 9, 2, again, reminds us that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. It's one of the most famous texts, right? It's a prophecy of the birth of Jesus, and it's sung most every Christmas season around the world and handles Messiah. However, in Isaiah 8, it explains why we need the light of God. In verses 19 and 20 of Isaiah 8, people during that day were consulting mediums and magicians instead of God. Listen to how the chapter ends in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 8. It says, Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. They look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. The prophet Isaiah sadly reports that the people were looking towards the earth, to human resources to fix the world. They were looking to experts. They were looking to mystics. They were looking to scholars for solutions. But here's the deal. They're saying that we are in darkness, but we can overcome the darkness by ourselves. But don't we say the same thing today? We look to the governments. We look to the markets. We look to technology. And yet they all share the same assumptions. Things are dark, but we believe we can in ourselves end that darkness with intellect and innovation. Keller shares in his book an article or an advertisement in the New York Times that says, that said, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. What's it saying? It's saying that we have the light within us. We are the ones who can dispel the darkness in the world. We can overcome poverty. We can overcome injustice. We can overcome violence. We can overcome evil. If we work together, we can create a world of unity and peace. But let me ask, can we? Can we? Have we? One of the most thoughtful world leaders of the 20th century, Valkal Havel, thought differently. He was the first president of the Czech Republic, Czech Republic and had a unique vantage point from which to peer deeply into both socialism and capitalism. And he was not optimistic that either would by itself solve the greater 
problem of evil and suffering. He understood that science needed to be guided by moral principles. If not, it was in the past given us to the Holocaust. He concluded that neither technology nor government nor market alone can save us from nuclear disaster, from ethnic violence, or even environmental deterioration. Havel exhorts, pursuit of the good life will not help humanity save itself, nor is democracy alone enough. A turning to and seeking of God is needed. Again, he goes on to declare that human race constantly forgets that he or she is not God. The world is a dark place. The message of Christmas, despite the sincerity of the New York Times article and advertisement, is not that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. The message is the exact opposite. Havel puts it well, humanity cannot save itself, and this is the realism of Christmas. Havel argues that belief that we can save ourselves, that some political system or ideology can fix human problems, will only lead to more darkness. That's what chapter 8, when Isaiah prophesies, confirms. If you look only to the earth and human resources, the, the darkness only gets worse. Now, you know that I love Hallmark Christmas movies. I watch them religiously. But Christmas is not sentimental. It's unsentimental and yet realistic in the way of living life. The Hallmark movies are not realistic in many ways, even though it's good to escape. Keller reminds us that Christmas does not say, cheer up, if you, if you, if you will all pull together, we can make a world a better place. Cheer up, if, if you, we all work together, we can make a better place. Christmas is not saying that. The Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness only resistance, but it supports no illusions that we can defeat them ourselves. See, the realism of Christmas does not agree with the optimistic, optimistic thinkers that say we can fix things if we try hard enough, nor does it agree with the pessimistic thinkers who say only a miserable suffering future is in our, is in our midst. No, Keller explains, the message of Christmas is things are really this bad and we can't heal or save ourselves Things are this dark, nonetheless, nonetheless, there is hope. See, the Christmas message is that on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The passage doesn't say, in, in chapter 8, doesn't say from the, world, from the world is light has sprung, but upon the world a light has dawned. See, this light comes from the outside. There's a light there's a light outside the world, and Jesus brought that light to save us. Indeed, he is the light. That is what this passage is pointing us to. And so we see the meaning of the light when the prophet Isaiah speaks of light dawning on the dark world. He's using the sun as a symbol. Sunlight brings hope, truth, and beauty. So the meaning of light first is the sun gives us light. Right? If the sun went out today, we would freeze. The sun is a source of all life. The Bible says that only God, that, that in God do we live and move and have our being. See, God, we exist only because God upholds us, keeps us together every moment. You're barring your life from him. This is both true of our physical body, but also of our spiritual and our soul. Genesis 3 reminds us that we have lost the original full right relationship with God. 
right? We know death because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And now we experience spiritual death. And how does that play out? Loss of meaning and hope, addictive, inordinate desires, deep discontent that can't be dissatisfied, shame with struggles with our identity, and an inability to change. And yet the Son, the Son of God, brought light and life to us. But we also see that the Son shows us the truth. Right? Even this morning, as I was, as I was waking up in the morning, and as I went down the stairs, we have a dog gate, and I forgot about the dog gate, and it was dark. And guess what happened? There was no light, and what did I do? I ran into the gate, right? If I had a light, right, I would have known that gate was there, hopefully, and I would have avoided that, that gate, right? But light reveals the truth of things. It shows how things are really are, and you will, you will not have enough truth to direct your body safely if you do not have that light. So the Bible says that God is a source of all truth. Even in Yao's testimony, she, she, she came to understand that he is the way, the truth, and the life. See, at one level, the only reason you can know God is because of God. God made your mind and your cognitive abilities. At another level, we can't possibly know who God is unless he reveals himself to us, which he does in the Bible. See, only through God can, you, can your reasoning capacity work, and only through his word of God, the Bible, can we truly understand who he is and who we are. The Son is life, the Son shows us the truth, and the Son is beautiful. As I said earlier, light, as we looked at Christmas lights, they're glorious. It gives us joy. They dazzle us. And that is true, literally. In many places where there's only a few hours of light, many suffer from depression. See, we need light for joy. God is a source of all beauty and joy. I'll remind you what I said last week from St. Augustine. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Augusta believed that even when you seem to be enjoying something else, God is the actual source of your joy. The thing you often love is from him and is lovely because it bears a unique, his unique signature. See, all joy is really found in God and knowing him personally through Jesus. And all things you enjoy are derivatives because you are really looking for him whether you know it or not. The light brings life, brings truth, and it's beautiful. See, God alone has the life. God alone has the truth. God alone has the joy that we lack and cannot generate ourselves. So I ask, how can this divine light dawn? Or as Isaiah 9 says, literally, flash upon us. Look at 6 and 7. I'll read it. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The passage declares the light has come, for unto us a child is born. This child brings light for he's what? The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. 
These four titles applied to this child belong only to God. This child is the mighty God. This child is the everlasting father, which means he is the creator, and yet he is born. Friends, there's nothing like this claim in any other major religions. He is a human being. However, he is not some kind of avatar of the divine principle. He is God as well. And I love what Keller says here. He says, it's almost too limiting to say that we quote-unquote celebrate this at Christmas. We stare dumbstruck, lost in wonder, love, praise. Why should we be lost in wonder, love, and praise because of this? If Jesus Christ really is the mighty God and everlasting Father, you cannot just like him. People who actually saw and heard never reacted indifferently or even mildly to Jesus. Once they realized what he was claiming about himself, either they were scared of him, either they were furious with him, or they knelt down and worshipped him and to serve him. But nobody simply liked him. Nobody in the Bible said, he is so inspiring, or he makes me want to live a better life. No, nowhere in Scripture does it say that. If the baby born of Christmas is the mighty God, then you must bow down, and I must bow down and worship and serve him. If Jesus Christ is the wonderful counselor and prince of peace, you should then want to serve him. Why do I say that? As you know, I'm a, I, I do a lot of counseling, and, and I counsel those who are going through a difficult time, and they come and they talk to me. They're looking for someone who understands. They're also maybe looking for someone who, who has shared a similar journey with them. Why am I saying that? Because if God has really been born in a feeding trough, then we have something that no other religion even claims to have. It is a God who truly understands you from the inside of your experience. There's no other religion that says God has suffered that God had to be courageous, that he knows what it's like to be abandoned by friends, to be crushed by injustice, to be tortured, and to die. The Advent Christmas season shows he knows what you are going through now, today. And when you talk to him, he understands. I love how Dorothy Sayer, a British essayist and novelist, says, The incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and to death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and of lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty, suffered infinite pain, all for us. Let me say that again. He was born in poverty, suffered infinite pain, all for us, and thought it was well worth the wild. Wow. Should we not say, be awestruck of a God who loves us so. Because he is a wonderful counselor, he is beautiful. He had the infinite highness of being the mighty God, 
yet he became one of us and meshed in our condition in order to show, to know our darkness. He saved us by going to the cross. And friends, he did it voluntarily, he did it freely, and he did it out of sheer love for us. And that is beautiful. See, we, when we know and experience something beautiful, we all dwell on it and stand before it because it is satisfying in itself. It's not something we do out of duty. No. So the reason we should follow Jesus is, is not simply because we have to, but because we want to. In light of all he is and, and all that he has done. And that is beautiful. But Jesus is wonderful for he is the divine light of the world. See, because he brings new life to those who are in spiritual darkness. He shows us truth that heals our spiritual blindness. And he's the beauty that breaks our addiction to money and to sex and to power. See, as our wonderful counsel, he walks with us into and through the shadow of death when no other companion can go. He is the light for us when all other lights go out. And because he is, he is the light of grace. And we come now and experience that grace at this table. This passage says again, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. See, the light of Jesus is a gift. It can be yours if you're willing to receive it as a gift of grace. Christmas is about receiving gifts. But some gifts are challenging and harder to receive. I remember one Christmas when we were in ministry transition and we had very little money to buy Christmas gifts for our kids. And when a friend of ours just dropped by large amount of money, it was a very humbling experience for me. That gift made me swallow my pride. But there's no other gift that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of his Son of God himself could save us. That's what this table reminds us. That means you are not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a good moral life. This table reminds us that we are sinners who needed to receive the great, gracious gift ever offered to us, and that is Jesus. See, if you receive this gift, right, this table is for you to come and experience the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. When Jesus died on the cross, Darkness fell on the land. The light of the world descended onto the darkness in order to bring us into God's beautiful light. See, the promise of Christmas, the promise of this table, cannot be discerned unless you first admit that you can't save yourself or even know yourself without the light of his unmerited grace in your life. This is the foundational truth for all of us to experience. It is true for you and for me if you want to come and experience his grace, his, renew, his healing grace, his forgiving grace, his renewing grace, his revealing grace, his bright, dazzling, joyful grace. Let's pray.
together this prayer. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and cup, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place, as this bread is Christ's body for us. Send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Amen. On that night, when he was with his disciples, he took the bread and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What a gift of grace. He also said, this is the blood of my new covenant shed for many for the forgiveness of their sins. Drink of it, all of you. Oh, Father, we do pray that you would now work among us as you minister this gift of grace into our souls that you remind us that we need you, we need your light. You need that light to expose our own darkness that we still wrestle with. But also help us to receive that, that gift of grace and know that we, are, that we are forgiven from past, present, and future sins, that God, you delight to renew and strengthen us to walk in ways that will please and honor you. Father, help us this Christmas to acknowledge we need you and we need your light. We need you, Lord Jesus, to show us the way. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org.